Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Sometimes life starts hard and then it gets worse. Uh, some of you today, probably if you were telling your stories, you would, it would describe you. Others of us start off a little differently, but the reality is that all of us at some point in our life try to figure out how to solve our problems, don't we? Sometimes we give up trying to solve them. Well, Jacob started off like that, Jacob of the Bible. Um, he was one of twins, fraternal twins, and, and when um, he was born, Esau was born first, his older brother, and the Bible says that Jacob... I don't quite know how this all works, but somebody stuck his hand out and grabbed his brother's heel. Now, whether he really did that or just looked like it doesn't, doesn't matter. But the idea is they named him Jacob because of that. Because Jacob literally means heel grabber. Now, how's that for a name? But the idea was this, what it really meant, that in their, their culture, this idea of heel grabber meant the idea of, of supplanting somebody, taking someone's place, like... Maybe in a wrestling match, they're up and you grab them by the heel and pull them down and, and then you stand and take their place. And so, sort of a usurper kind of thing. It came to communicate, this, this name Jacob came to communicate the idea of being a conniver, a schemer, a manipulator, all of those kinds of things. Brand new baby, Jacob. Okay, so this is where he starts. And... Whether or not that, that action of reaching out and, then, and grabbing his brother's heel was indicative of his, his basic character or not, I don't know. But Jacob lived out his name. He did, very much so. Now, as this competition between he and his brother growing up, Esau, even though they were twins, was born first, so Esau would be the one who would have the birthright. And the birthright in that culture meant, let's give you an example, if there were two kids... Okay, they would divide the inheritance three ways and give the oldest two parts, okay? And his responsibility was then also to care for the, you know, the, the elderly uh, family members and all that. But so he got two parts and the younger got one. Well, Jacob, his whole life, you know, uh, didn't think that was right because, hey, I'm born, born the same day he was. And sure enough, he lives with this whole idea of supplanter, usurper. Because if, if you remember the story, um, these boys grew up, and Esau became what we would describe as a man's man. You know, he was a hunter and all really related with dad and all those things. Jacob became, and I'm not doing this in a negative way, but his mama's boy. All right? And that's the way this worked. And so um, one day, Esau came home from hunting. He's, been, he's exhausted. I guess he hasn't, hasn't got anything. But Jacob's cooking something up, some stew. And Esau says, man, I am dying of hunger. Can, give me some of that stew. And, and Jacob goes, huh, well, um, no. I got to have some of this stew. Okay, well, you give me the birthright and I'll give you some stew. And Esau said, yeah, whatever. And took the stew. But you see what Jacob's doing? Manipulating. Okay. So it comes down time to uh, his, their father's getting very old. Isaac, he can't really see much anymore. 
And uh, they, he's having a real downtime. They think he's going to die. He doesn't end up dying, but they think he's going to die. And so they go to dad to get his blessing because that was, once again, in their culture. The, the, the father would, you know, put his hands on the, the oldest and give him a special blessing as the firstborn. And it meant a tremendous amount to them. Well, you remember the story? Jacob takes advantage of, Jacob and his mother take advantage of uh, Isaac's inability to see, and they fool him uh, into thinking that Jacob is Esau. And so Isaac gives the blessing of the firstborn to Jacob. So, but you see what Jacob's doing? He's manipulating. Well, all of a sudden, this isn't working so well anymore because word gets out that Esau's really upset. Esau the hunter is upset. And he is making plans that, okay, my dad, I think my dad's dying soon. When he dies, then I'm going to kill Jacob. And so mom hears this and says, you got to leave. And so they send Jacob away. He has to leave. How is this working for him now? You know, trying to work and make everything happen, manipulate, connive, scheme, and it isn't working. So he gets sent away. And he goes to a far country where they have relatives. And he meets someone there. He meets a man named Laban. I, I don't know what Laban's name means, but I tell you what, Laban was a professor of manipulation. And Jacob is going to learn from him. And so uh, while he's there, Jacob begins working for them, and he sees Laban's daughter, Rachel, and she's just amazing, just overwhelms him. And so he goes to Laban and says, I'd like to marry your daughter, Rachel. Can I do that? He says, okay, I can do that, but here's the deal. You've got to work for me for seven years before you can marry her. And the Bible says that, that Jacob gladly did that, and the seven years went like that because he was just so in love, looking forward to meeting Rachel. And not meeting her, marrying her. And so the night of the, the wedding, and, and some of the times we read things in the Bible, it's hard for us to understand how things went in that culture, how this could happen. But just, it did happen this way. So, you know, because they would be all covered up, the ladies, right, and for the wedding and all this kind of stuff. And that night, he gets married. The next day, he gets up and the lights come up and she has taken off her thing. And it's, you're not Rachel. You're Rachel's older sister, Leah. What's up with this? And so he goes out to Laban. What's going on? He says, oh, well, we didn't tell you, huh? In our culture, it's not right for the younger daughter to marry before the older one, so... Okay, so this has happened to him. This is how he's learning to, to work, too. And, and, and Laban says, but I'll tell you what, I'll let you marry Rachel if you work another seven years. And, uh, but the idea is he didn't have to wait seven years to get married. You can marry her now, but you're agreeing to work another seven years for me. So he did it. Okay, and then um, the story continues, and Laban, you know, really trying to squeeze every drop out of Jacob that he can. And, and Jacob kind of finally says, well, yeah, I had enough of this, and he's trying to figure it out. So Jacob starts, and actually God was at work behind the scenes, so Jacob wasn't necessarily aware, but Jacob starts trying to manipulate things uh, so that he ends up with more livestock than Laban and better livestock than Laban. And, and, and it works. He becomes wealthy. And Laban isn't as wealthy anymore. And all of a sudden, Laban's boys start talking. You know, we aren't very happy about this. This does sound like a, a crazy story. Make a great movie. 
Um, and so they're upset, and they, you know, Laban's getting upset, and so Jacob says, I think we better leave. And so he's been there now 20 years, because he finished the seven years, worked another six years, and in the process, manipulated and schemed to where he got an, a large amount of Laban's wealth, and he took off and left. And Laban comes after him with his men, okay? This is not a, a, a good situation. He's run, so Jacob is running, basically. God intervenes and tells Laban, don't you mess with Jacob. Don't mess with him. And so he catches up with him, but then just scolds him, doesn't do anything to him, right? So Jacob is heading back home to Israel, where he was from, and as he comes back, he gets word. Somebody tell Esau's on his way to see you. Esau's the one that he had cheated, remember? And who said he was going to kill him? Well, that doesn't sound so bad, Esau, but then he says, oh, by the way, he's got 400 men with him. He's in a world of hurt, isn't he? And so what's happening here to him, and by the way, this time he has 12, uh, 12 sons, and uh, he has four wives. Actually, I don't know if he's had all 12 yet, but he's got a lot of sons, and um, his, it just isn't going well, because here he is all his whole life, how he's lived his life is now catching up with him. Because he just had to run and leave with people coming after him to get him because of his scheming. And now he's headed back into where someone else is coming toward him. Esau with the 400 men. And he says, I'm in trouble. You know, his whole life he's been able to scheme and manipulate and make things happen. And now he just can't anymore. It isn't working. And that brings us to where we want to start today. Genesis chapter 32. A really unusual story in the Bible. So Jacob has reached a place where they have to cross this brook. And so he sends his family on across the brook and he divides them up into different areas and splits them up, hoping that if, if Esau shows up with his armies and, and he wipes some of them out, that the rest of them will escape. And so he sends them all across and then he stays there alone. And it says this, verse 22. Uh, by the way, we're on page, what is it, 37? Yeah, page 37. Verse number 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took, he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. So this is that night when really he's looking at everything that I have done is coming back to haunt me. How I have lived my life up to this point, you know, it never really worked, but I kept trying to make it work. Now it's not working anymore. Have you ever felt that way in life? Like you've tried and tried and tried and you know you've made mistakes and done wrong things and then at some point it's all coming back to you. The bills are coming due. The relationship is, is falling apart. You've lost the job. Whatever, all those things, you, you know, it's, it's all the, the, my old Missouri statement, your chickens are coming home to roost. Right? That's where Jacob was, alone, in the dark. How could it possibly get any worse? 
Let's read verse 24 there. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. How could it get any worse? Well, you're there alone in the dark face, and somebody out of the shadows jumps on you and starts wrestling with you. Not now, right? Come on. Um, interesting thing. This, by the way, this is it's, it's a, a unique kind of story in the Bible, and uh, God teaches some really cool things through it. But it is different, and sometimes it's hard to understand. But let's just run with it, as the uh, the Bible says it, because that's the way it happened. But it says, "And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day." Now, is is there anything unusual in your Bible about the word "man" in that sentence? It's capitalized. Now, in the Hebrew language, it would have been capitalized. Um, but many English Bibles, it is capitalized, and there's a reason. Because as we read the rest of the story, what we're going to discover is that this man was God. God took on the form of a man. In the Old Testament, sometimes God appears as a man to, to talk and to interact with people. And so God took on the form of a man, and he jumps on Jacob and wrestles with him. <laughs> Doesn't that just you go, wait a minute. You know, a cup of coffee maybe. Uh, we have a little talk. We just jumps him. <laughs> All right. So then Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he, this man, God, saw that he did not prevail against him, Jacob. Now he was God. If he wanted to use his God powers, he could have prevailed against him easily, right? But he's wrestling with a man. See, he did not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip. So someplace down here. And the word that says touch here uh, really literally means to hit. Okay, so somehow rather he hit him, did something. Whether he used miraculous power or not, we don't know. But the point is, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now that ought to do the job, right? You're in a wrestling match, pulled, and all of a sudden your hip is out of joint? I mean, what else would you be able to think about? Yeah, you tap out in a hurry, that's right. Uh, but so, it ought to take care of it. Verse 26, and he, God said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Somehow, in the middle of this wrestling match, Jacob has realized this is no ordinary person that he's wrestling with. Okay, and we're going to see as we read the rest of the story, he has come to realize that this is God or someone like God. <laughs> and so he says, no, I'm not letting go. I am hanging on to you. I will not let go until you do what only you can do in my life, your blessing. Verse 27, so he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And so when he asked, what's your name, who are you, what did Jacob say? I'm the heel grabber, the usurper, the supplanter, the conniver, the schemer, the manipulator. That's me. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Your name is now Israel. You are a prince with God. A prince with God. 
Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Why? For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Face to face as in the form of a man, not in all his glorious God. But I've seen God face to face, and now my life is preserved. He figured the next day his life was over, all the result of being Jacob. But now he's Israel, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. I imagine that Jacob had a limp the rest of his life. Probably. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he, God, touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. Now, that's an interesting note there. That's just a description of a custom of Israel and gives us the reasoning for it. And, you know, just this is sort of a side note. What hits me as interesting is how easily or how quick people are to turn anything into something religious. Right? We don't eat that muscle anymore. Why? Did God tell you not to? No. But, but God did touch Jacob's muscle there once, and so we don't eat it anymore. <laughs> All right? So people do that and take the culture that way. But I want you to see there in verse 26. Let me go, God says. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is not letting go. He is hanging on for dear life. He's hanging on. His hip is out of joint. His life has fallen apart. He's facing death, most likely. He says, I'm not letting go. I'm hanging on for dear life. Now, they said, this is kind of strange, but have, have a story, but have you ever found yourself in life struggling? <laughs> and the struggle, you just can't seem to escape it. Uh, you feel overwhelmed by it circumstances or people, things that are happening, things that are out of your control, things that are technically in your control, but you fail time and time again. It just goes on and on and on. And, and, and you get saved and you know what needs to happen, you know, or at least you know that, okay, this is the way I am and this is the way I need to be. I, I get that, but I, you know, I'm stuck here. I can't seem to get there. Have you ever come to the point in life where you finally go, I give up. I've been there in my life. I had things in my life that I struggled with, worked on, knew I needed to work on. I'd make progress, and next thing you know, I'm back and up and back. Oh, and finally, you, just, you start to think, I guess it's just the way it's going to be. Is it just the way it's going to be? And the tendency is to give up working at it. Anybody besides me ever felt that way? Like, hey, you know what? Don't do it. Don't quit. Don't resign from the struggle. You need to keep wrestling. Jacob had every reason to give up. Hip out of joint. I, okay, I give up. You know, like Jerry said, tap out. I'm done. Don't, listen, this is what I want you to get today. Don't abandon the struggle. Don't. 
You're struggling to get it right. You're struggling to live for God. You're struggling to get free from things that hold you. You're struggling to work through difficult relationships. You're struggling to trust God. And to find, whatever your issues are, don't abandon the struggle. Because just like Jacob here, it's in the struggle at some point that you will come face to face with God. And that's what you need. Someplace in that struggle, God's going to use to where all of a sudden you're, he is here. He has not abandoned me. In fact, you know what you start to realize? That this struggle, who am I really struggling with? I'm struggling with God. And God is wrestling with you because he wants to get you to the place you need to be. So don't abandon the struggle because it's there that you will find yourself face to face with God. Job said this after all of his testings in Job chapter 42 and verse 5. He says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And it is in those struggles of life as you continue to hang on for dear life that God shows up. Not always when you'd like him to. He doesn't call when you want him to. <laughs> but he shows up. Uh, my wife and I both talk to you, uh, uh, you know, if we tell you our story and how God has worked in our lives and, and the things we went through several years, actually, of just things that were just overwhelming for us. And, and uh, we don't want to do it again. Never want to do it again. Uh, but we both would tell you we would never give up what we've gained by going through it. Wouldn't want to lose that. So it was worth it. And there's still struggles today, but what, what I've learned is that God shows up and you get to know who he is. You, learn, you get to know him in a new way, a different way, a way that changes things for you. Don't you want that? That's what we need. And, and it comes, you know, sometimes it takes that struggle to get you there. Probably, really, in reality, it probably always takes that struggle to get you there. So don't abandon the struggle because it's in the struggle that you'll find yourself face to face with God. So no matter how hard it is today, don't throw up your hand and say, well, I give up. This is just the way it's going to be. No, keep struggling with it. Hang on for dear life. Hang on. Another reason not to abandon the struggle is this. It's in the struggle that you come to realize how desperately you need God. Think about Jacob in his life. He was handling it, wasn't he? And by the way, we can read and look, and he, he believed in God and talked to God occasionally, but he was handling stuff. I got this God, okay? In fact, even earlier in this chapter, it's interesting, he, he knows that he's in big trouble, and so he prays to God, God, you know, please, if, if you can deliver me anyway. And then he says, okay, God, I prayed. Now I'll take care of it. And he starts figuring it all out and who he's going to send where and manipulating the scheme. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> you desperately need God. You cannot be who you want to be ultimately as a Christian apart from absolute dependence on God. 
You cannot get free from the things that control you, hurt you, without absolute dependence on God. You cannot go forward and make the difference in life that God has designed you to make for his glory without absolute dependence on God. And it is the struggle where he's going to show you how desperately you need him. I, I mean, I don't... See, you know, we go through life and, and we learn things along the way and, and, and you can't know something until you know it. I get all that, but I, I just got to tell you that there are, It is in my struggles that I finally realize, you know, I can't do this. Anybody here like me, you try to fix stuff? Any fixers, right? Not, it's nothing wrong with being fixed, but the idea is I gotta realize, wait a minute, I, I can't fix the things that really need to be fixed. God has to fix those things, and I have to let him fix those things in my life. And so, how desperately we need God. And so, God did this with Jacob, and how did he do it? Jacob says, I'm hanging on. I'm not letting go until you bless me. I want a blessing. And God says, oh yeah, who are you? Oh. I'm Jacob. I am Jacob. I am the manipulator, the schemer, the conniver, the supplanter. The, that's me. Do you see where God brought Jacob? You are a mess without me. Here's where you go without me. Here's what life looks like without me. It's pretty ugly, isn't it? I, I have a few key times in my life when I, I look back and think about it that, that God brought me to certain realizations about myself. Oh, man. It's emotional even thinking about it now. Um, I mean, there's the times when he brought me a realization about who I am in Christ, and that's great and exciting, but there's times when all of a sudden I've seen myself. It's pretty ugly. God says, who are you? Oh, yeah, that's me. I'm Jacob. I'm a mess. I am helpless. I am hopeless unless God does something in my life. Now, that's not a pleasant place to be, but do you know how important it is that you come to that realization? That's what Jacob had to come. He had to come to that realization. This is who I am. This is who I've become. This is where living life independently from God has led me. This is me. And when you finally come to that place and he's broken and he's hanging on to God and he's, he's facing up to this, it's in that struggle then that God changed everything. Because what did he say? He says, I am Jacob, Jacob. Verse 28, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Yeah, you've been a conniver, no more. It's not who you are anymore. Now, Jacob might have done some conniving later, but you get what I'm saying? That's not who you are anymore, Jacob. Manipulator, yeah, that's what you, but not anymore. I'm changing who you are. You're now a prince with me, one of my princes. You're mighty with God. 
because you got it. You finally reached the point where you realized that you had to hang on for dear life and you found me here. And so I am going to change who you are. From now on, you are Israel. You're not Jacob anymore. Wow. Is that good news? You know what? If you had to describe your whole overall life and how you've come to where you are in one word, what would it be? What would you say? I've talked to some of you. I know you struggle with feeling like a loser, failure, unlovable, angry, bitter. On and on the list could go. God wants to say to you, not anymore. Not anymore. You're going to be a new person here. Now, when we get saved and we trust Christ as Savior, He makes us a new creation. But have you noticed that it doesn't immediately change everything in life? It changes the most important thing in life, but it doesn't change anything else. But as we live out, all of a sudden, God starts to get us to see who you are. You are a new person. You are no longer Jacob. You are now Israel. And, and, and what you will realize is that in this struggle, God changes who you are. You can then say, like the psalmist does in Psalm 119, he says this. This is a paraphrase. He says, I used to wander off until you wrestled with me. But now I closely follow your word. My struggle was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to you and to live by what you say. Are you the place yet where you can say the struggle's good? This struggle's good for me. That helps, right? It's like, have you ever, oh man. Do you remember being a kid sitting at the table and your mom put something on your plate that you detested? And what did she tell you? Eat it, it's good for you. Well, that helps a lot. Probably would be true, but you know how we feel. It doesn't make it easier to swallow. But the struggle is good for you, and you need to come to the place like this where you can say, God has used my struggles to change me, to, to get me on the right path, to get me moving in the right direction. And so I say to you today, don't abandon the struggle. and said, hang on for dear life. Hang on to God. Now, I want you to see that here God is actually hanging on to Jacob. God's the one who jumped on him. But in the middle of it, Jacob grabbed on. And that's what you need to do. Now, the last five weeks, we've been looking at what God says about how to get past your past. And, and so here's how you're going to do it. First thing, you've got to believe that God is really a before and after God. Do you remember? This was on our um, open house Sunday. And we, we saw the cardboard testimonies. God is a before and after God. He can change your life. And it starts with trusting Christ as Savior. Come to that point where you realize that, that your own way of life, your sins have separated you from God. And you, you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and you, you place your trust in Him as Savior. You're, at that point, you're born again, and God begins this change process in your life. He is a before and after God, and you need to believe that. And then you need to listen to what God says and start pulling the devil's teeth. Remember, we talked about four things in particular. You have to face up and begin addressing sin in your life. If your struggle is because there's ongoing sin in your life and you keep kind of just... Pushing that out of the way, 
Instead of figuring out, I got to deal with this, being honest about it, that's going to, you know, hold you back. So address the sin, uh, deal with unresolved guilt. Remember we talked about feeling guilty for nothing and why we do that. You got to deal with that. You got to escape the bitterness and you do that by forgiving other people. Being a forgiving person. So pull the devil's teeth. And then you have to accept the fact that God's prescription is a nitty-gritty prescription. It gets down and deals with the basic issues, but it's not like that. It's not a magic pill. It's about taking the truth of the Word of God and beginning to learn it, beginning to believe it, begin to live by it day after day, day after day, day after day. And then you will come to know the truth in a way that sets you free. And then, we talked about last week about dealing with other people's opinions of you. That you let other, what other people think of you determine what you believe about yourself and about the choices you make in life. You let that control you. And we said you've got to get free from that. You've got to decide that God's opinion is the right opinion and your opinion is that his opinion's right. Those two opinions will set you free and you stop letting other people's opinions control you anymore. But the reality is, even as you do all of those things, you're going to be in a struggle. It will be a struggle. So hang on for dear life. Hang on to God. Don't abandon the struggle. You will meet him there. You'll realize how much you need him. And he will change your life. And you will be able to get past your past. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've provided for us all that we need in your son to be able to get past our past. You, you've given us the ability to uh, trust him as savior and be forgiven for every sin, receive eternal life and the ability to begin to make better choices in this life. And I pray, Lord, again for anyone here today who, who has questions about that or wonders where they're at with that, Lord, that they would Maybe use one of those communication cards and, and mention that or talk to somebody that we can see people coming to trust your son as Savior. And then, Father, I pray that the truths of your word, that we would let them transform us, that we would cooperate with you, that, that we wouldn't choose to go out from here today saying, well, yeah, but that doesn't work for me. Oh, God, please challenge that in anybody's heart and mind today. Change us, Father. Thank you that when we're in struggles, that we're not alone, that you're there with us. And that at some point we will meet you face to face there. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.